Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. Romans chapter 12, we're reading from verse number 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with a sober judgment, in accordance with faith God has distributed to each of each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, so in Christ we, though many from one uh, from one body. And each member belong to all the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given unto us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encouragement. Then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is, if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Verse number nine, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Never be, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be, uh, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hunger, is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in Jesus' name. Now, from this verse of scripture, you will notice that Paul is taking, is taking the conversation that is started in verse 1 and 2, he's taking it from the, from the abstract level to a very practical discussion. He's trying to let them understand the practical element of the Christian faith. Paul, you will notice in the verse that we have read, he's he's talking to them about not some idealistic thing about the Christian faith. He's beginning to tell them the real practicality of what it means to walk with the Almighty God. If you recall in verse 1 and 2 that we looked at, Paul the Apostle talked about number one, our reasonable response to the things that are, to our reasonable response to our salvation. In verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, 
12, the Bible says, I I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, the gospel is not an academic exercise. The gospel is not an intellectual, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's not just a mental thing. It is a spiritual and a practical thing, and it affects every area of our life. And Paul, the apostle, is saying in verse number one, Paul is simply saying that as a church today, and is saying to those who, you know, saying to us that the response that we need to have to our salvation is a response of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Almighty God. Because when you were saved, you were saved completely. And the Lord is saying that there is no aspect of your life that has been exempt from that salvation experience. So when you are born again, your whole body, your whole soul, your whole spirit is required by the Almighty God. And Paul is saying at salvation, present yourselves to the Almighty God as a living sacrifice. Present your body, your soul, your spirit to the Almighty God as a living sacrifice. Also, in the first two verses of Scripture that we looked at the last time, the Paul talked about the need for the transformation, the need for transformation in the life of a believer. The need for transformation in the life of a believer. Look at verse number 2 of that chapter 12. He said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, as a believer who is a member of the body of Christ right now, through the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you are no longer part of this world system. You are no longer doing things the way the world is doing things. You are no longer conforming to this particular world. Paul is saying that as a redeemed child of God, as somebody who was bought by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, you should live a life that is befitting the, you know, the sacrifice that have been made on your behalf. You should live a life that proves that yes, that shows the whole world that you are different, that you have been separated, that you are no longer belonging to this world. And Paul is saying that that is the way. He said, do not be conformed to this world. He said, there is a need for a transformation. When you are born again, apart from presenting yourself to the Almighty God, Paul is saying that the life of a believer must show a life of transformation. A life that shows that you have not been delivered from where you used to be and you have not been placed into somewhere new. There has to be transformation in your life. Anyone who sees you should be able to see the difference. And that's why he wrote when he was talking to the Corinthian church, he said that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. That transformation must be evident in the life of that believer. You see also in that verse number two, Paul talked about the process of that transformation. Not just the transformation itself, not just the need for the transformation, but there is a process involved in the transformation. There's a process of taking you from where you used to be to where God wants you to be. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. In other words, Paul is saying, your transformation as a child of God began when you were saved. When your dead spirit came alive through the sacrifice that Christ gave to us on the cross of Calvary. He's now saying, for that transform, but that transformation must continue. In other words, the work that started in your spirit must continue in your soul for it to be reflected in your body. The newness of life that your spirit now enjoys, the life of God that your spirit now enjoys, must walk through the spirit into your soul and to be manifested in the body. 
So he's saying that be ye transformed. How will you do it? By the renewing of your mind. And Paul is saying that the transformation of the believer happens by the renewing of your mind. And that transformation, how is the renewing taking place? The renewal takes place through the proper exposure of the mind to the word of God. When the mind is exposed to the word of God, it becomes renewed. When the mind is cultivated in the word of God, it becomes renewed. When the mind is nurtured in the word of God, it becomes renewed. When the mind is fed by the word of God, it becomes renewed. But when you find that a believer comes and says that they are born again, and that believer is not exposed to the word of God, that believer is not cultivated in the word of God, that believer is not nurtured or fed in the truth of the word of God, you find out that that believer will not grow. Because the thing that is required for the transformation of the heart to take place is not being given to the heart for it to be able to grow. When you are still exposed to the same debauchery, you are still exposed to the same kind of relationship, you are still exposed to the things that you used to be exposed to, and you are not exposed to the things of God, the mind will not grow, the transformation will not happen. And Paul is saying, not just that you present your body as a living sacrifice, he said, but you must renew your mind. There has to be a freshness, a renewal, a feeding of your spirit so that the mind will begin to grow, so that the mind will begin to understand the things of God, so that the mind will begin to appreciate what God intends for the life of the believer, so that you can begin to move from where you are to where you really need to be. That is the intention of the Almighty God. And that only happens when you are exposed, when the mind is renewed. That's what Paul is basically saying. And so from the verse of scripture that we have read, you will begin to notice, Paul now started to go into a deep dive. He's saying that yes, there is a process for the transformation, but he's saying also to the believers in Rome, in the verses of scripture beginning from verse number 9, all the way to verse number 21, he now began to tell them that apart from the process of transformation, there is also the evidence of transformation in the life of the believer. In other words, it is good for a believer to be, to be transformed. There is a process for that transformation to take place in life of the believer. But at the same time, when that transformation is taking place in life of the believer, people who are watching, those who are looking at that believer will see the evidence of that transformation. They see the things that you used to do and you don't do them anymore. They say that you are a very acrimonious person, but you are no longer that kind of person. You are a very vengeful person, you are no longer vengeful. You are somebody who is very selfish, and things are no... They see that the life that you used to live, that life has changed. There is an evidence of that transformation. And what are these evidence? Let's begin to read from verse number 3. Romans chapter 12, start reading from verse number 3. The Bible says, For by the grace that is given unto me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that has been distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have one body, uh, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belong to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace which is given to us. For if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to the faith, according, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving others, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage, then, uh, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is the leading, if it is lead, do it diligently. If it is show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
Basically, do use the gifts that God has given unto you. Okay? Paul is saying, as members of the body of Christ, we understand that we are endowed differently. We understand that we have been given different gifts. And Paul is saying, use that gift. And he's saying the first evidence of the believer, when somebody comes into the body of Christ, the first thing you will notice is their willingness to be able to share the gift of God in their lives. The willingness to be able to share that this is what I have to show that yet they are now part of the body of Christ. They are willing to share the gift of God in their life. And like I always say when it comes to the issue of giving, it's not always about money. They are willing to share their time. They are willing to share their wisdom. They are willing to share their talent. They are also willing to share their resources. And Paul is saying that once you come into the body of Christ, one of the evidence that you will use to know that, yes, a believer is now born again and the transformation is going on in their life is that willingness to be able to share. And why do you believe that that is an evidence? It's an evidence because when you use your gift for the expansion of the kingdom of God, when you use your time for the expansion of the kingdom of God, when you use your talent for the expansion of the kingdom of God, you are telling the world that you are now belonging to the part. You are now a body. You are now a part of the body of Christ. When you use that gift to grow the kingdom of God, you are telling the world that you belong to Christ. When you use your gift to... To grow the work of God. You are telling the world that you are ready to be able to use whatever the Lord has given unto you to be able to touch other people and bring them into the fold. So the first thing you will notice in the life of a transformed believer is the willingness to be able to give of themselves to other people who are part of the body of Christ. And you see it in the book of Acts of the Apostles. Bible told us that when the believers came together, when they were born again, they had everything in common. Those who were rich were selling their property to be able to give and make sure that the body of Christ had it. You will notice another individual when Jesus Christ met the Zacchaeus. Bible makes us to understand that as soon as he encountered Christ, he was willing to share some of the things, the, 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 the blessings that God has given unto him. So you see, the evidence of a transformed life is the evidence of giving. Number two, the evidence of a transformed life is the, is the evidence of the expression of the love of God to the lives of other people. The expression of the love of God to others. Look at verse number 9. Romans chapter 12, reading from verse number 9, the Bible tells us, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the blood people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not cause, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be considered. In this verse of the scripture, Paul was telling the believers that apart from the fact that you are willing to share your gift, he said there has to be an evidence of love in the life of the believer. For you to tell me, for you to demonstrate to the whole world that there has been transformation in your life, that something has happened, that you have met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that apart from the fact that you are willing to share of your resources, there has to be that willingness to express the love of God. And Paul is saying that the love that I'm talking about is not just that kind, it's not just anyhow love. It's a love that is characterized, number one, by sincerity. When you say you love somebody, Paul is saying, you must show, it must be a sincere love. Number two, it must be a love that is devoted and honors the other person. 
In other words, a love that is respectful of the other person. Number three, it must be a love that is zealous for the things of God. A love that shows that, yes, you are interested in the things of God. You are interested in the expansion of the kingdom of God. You are interested in the bringing in of others into that particular kingdom. Number four is a love that is hopeful. In other words, when the situation is not what you expect it to be, you continue to love an individual because you believe that the hand of God will be able to reach down and transform their life and transform their situation and make them into what they are supposed to be. Number five is a love that shares. It's a love that sees the goodness of God and is willing to extend it to other people. Number six is a love that overcomes evil. The Bible says, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In other words, as we go about in life, not everybody will like us. And the Bible is making us to understand, as transform the believer, our lives must be such that it's a life that overcomes. The love that we demonstrate must be a love that shows the whole world that we are now being transformed by the love of God. It's a love that overcomes evil. It's a love that does not, that is not overcome by the wicked powers of war. It's a love also that relates. The Bible says rejoice with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's a love that is not isolated. It's a love that is connected. The fact that you are a believer does not mean that you are not supposed to relate with any other person. It's a love that relates. And finally, it's a love that is harmonious. Live in harmony with one another. That's what the Bible says. He said, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. It's a love that is harmonious, that is willing to relate, that is willing to overcome evil, that is willing to share. A love that is hopeful. A love that is patient in affliction. A love that is faithful in praying, even for the people that it does not like. That's the kind of love that Paul is saying that when you become a believer, and the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ transforms you. See, that is the kind of thing that is expected to be manifested in your life. Is it easy? That is a story for another day. If you read this one, the Bible says, pray for your enemies. We are still trying to get there. The Lord will help us. But the point we are making is that this is what the Lord is expecting of the believers. That when there is a transformation going on inside of your life, you are not expected to be stagnant. You are not expected to remain in the same spots. Some changes must be seen in your life. And the first one is the change in your ability to share of the grace of God that Lord has deposited in your life with other people. The second thing is for you to express the love of God through all these various channels that Paul has identified. The third area, the third evidence of the transformed life that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12 is seen in non-retaliation. It's referred to as non-retaliation. Look at verse number 17 of Romans chapter 12. Verse number 17, Romans chapter 12. Say, do not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, when we're talking about retaliation, Bible, you know, you, 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 the, the Old Testament says that you slap me, I slap you back. You take off, you know, you plug one eye, I take off your own other eye. What happened is that the people in that particular community, everybody will be walking around with one one eye. Because when you take one, I'll take my own back. Vengeance, the Lord is saying, is not your business. Say, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He said, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. I'll stop here for a second, digress for a second, for a minute. The Bible says, if it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you. In other words, there are some people who will make up their mind that they don't want to live in peace with you. There are some people who will look at you and say, I don't like your face. I don't want to do business with you. And there's nothing you can do about it. But if it is left to you alone, your decision according to the Bible is to be able to live in peace with everybody. In other words, you should not hold grudge against anybody. But you cannot stop the other guy from holding grudge against you. Now, when somebody decides now to become a harm to you, you have to find a way to be able to protect yourself. But as much as possible, we are supposed to live in peace with everyone. Verse number 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, verse number 20, verse number 20 now, if your enemies hunger, feed him. If they thirst, give them something to drink. Do, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In this verse of scripture, Paul is talking about the fact that as believers who have been transformed by the love of God, as believers who have been transformed by the blood, he said your business, you are not in the business of revenge. You are not in the business of holding anybody hostage in your mind. You are not in the business of paying people back in their own coin. He said, live in peace with everyone. Leave the revenge to the Almighty God. He said, he's not even giving you an additional instruction. He said, as much as it is, as much as possible, you need to help those who come across your way. It doesn't matter whether you, whether they like you or not. Give as much help as you can. Be, you know, make sure everything you do, you live at peace with everybody who comes in contact with you. And some people have interpreted that to mean that Christianity is a stupid religion. Because the Bible teaches that when someone slaps you on the right, you turn the left one. What I've just tried to do is I'll try to make sure you don't slap me in the first place. Because I will not know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to turn the other one. But the idea is, <laughs> but the idea is that Christianity teaches us not to be vengeful. It teaches you not to allow yourself, you know, not to be the person who will be the one who will be always be vengeful or who will be retaliating. That's not the teaching of the scriptures. Whether we practice it, that's a different story. But that is the, the core of the scripture is that we do not revenge. Because you allow God, who is the one who avenged for the saints, you allow God to fight for you. That's what the Bible is teaching. And if you notice in verse number 19, Paul is saying, Paul is saying do not revenge because God is the one that does revenge. Paul is saying beyond that, the, when you, when you, what you are supposed to be doing is you are supposed to be showing love to that individual so that at one point in time, your love will overcome their hatred because he said do not be overcome by evil, okay, but overcome evil with what? With good. In the process, you are able to show the whole world that you are a child of the living God. Why is this important? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to me? We have learned all this in Sunday school from the time that we had, we understood what Sunday school was all about. We have always been told that we should do this, we should do that. But why is it important for you as a believer? Why is it important for me as a believer? Why is it important for us as a church? Why did Paul take a whole chapter just to tell you the evidence of a transformed life? The reason, let me suggest to you, number one, is that our transformed life is an evidence that we are alive in Christ. The fact that something is changing inside of you. The fact that you are beginning to see your attitude change. Your behavior is changing. The way you see the world is changing. The way you interact with the world is changing. Tells us that Christ is alive in you. 
Because if Christ is not alive in you, if nothing has changed in your life, there will be no need for that transformation. Even that transformation cannot happen. Look at the people who practice self-development or who practice personal growth or who who practice positive thinking. You can do all the positive thinking in the world. It doesn't change the core of that particular individual. Only Christ is able to do it. So our transformed life is number one and evidence that Christ is alive inside of us. Number two, the transformation that Paul is talking about, the transformed life that he wants the believers to live, is an evidence that Christ, that we are still alive, that we are not dead. The fact that you still sin does not mean that you are completely condemned. The fact that you are struggling against sin, I don't encourage you to continue to struggle against sin. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. When you struggle against sin, it tells me that the grace of God is still very much alive in your life. Because when you see struggling, it means that you have given up on the Almighty God. When you see struggling and you are no longer respond, and you are no longer de- affected by sin, you are no longer affected by the wrong things that you are doing, you don't see them as anything wrong, you are comfortable in it, then you have a problem. But if I pinch you right now and you still respond, it tells me there's still something, there's still hope in you. If you can still see sin as sin, then there's hope. The fact that you are not able to practice a different story, but the fact that you can still recognize it, tells me that Christ is still very much alive in you. So the evidence of transformation shows that we are alive in Christ. Transformation shows that Christ is alive in us. Number three, transform the transformed life is a proof that the gospel can still change life today. When you see an individual who is who, who lived a particular kind of life before, that individual encounters Christ. And you begin to see changes in that life. You begin to see them grow. You begin to see them mature in the things of God. It tells us one thing, that the gospel that they have been preaching for the past 2,000 years, that gospel is still very much alive today. And it's still changing lives. Because somebody encountered it. And their lives are changing. So that tells me one thing. That the the transformed life is a proof that the gospel still changes life even till this very day. Number four, the transformed life is the only invitation to the gospel that we have left in this depraved culture. If you go out right now, the laws have been made whereby you cannot even go to people to preach to them anymore. If you talk about Christianity right now, there are some places, there are some as of communities where it's not, it's not been legislated against. We are now increasingly seeing that the criminalization of our faith is, is increasingly becoming, becoming a reality. The only invitation that we have left right now is the invitation of the transformed life. When people look at an individual, when they encounter an individual, they walk with an individual, they see the life that that person has been living before, the person now comes to Christ, and they see the life of that person being changed, they begin to realize, and they will ask you, what is happening to you? It's an invitation for them to hear the gospel. It's an invitation for them to see the power that is working inside of you. It's an invitation for them to see, to encounter the Christ that is living inside of you. That is the only evidence that is left. That is the only invitation that we have left. The transformation of the lives. Because if you go to churches right now, what are we seeing? We go to churches right now, people are talking. The, the, the conversation going on in the church is not different from the one that is going on outside. The lives of the people in the church is not different from the one that is outside. The things that we value in the church is not different from what is valued outside. There is no difference between the church and the people who are outside. So why would they come to the church? The only invitation that we have left 
The only invitation that the whole, that this depraved culture can appreciate right now is the invitation of a transformed life. And then finally, our transformed life is our only argument for the gospel in this dying world. What do you want to argue? What does the church have to offer? The church has nothing else to offer than the life that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that is able to transform life. And the transformed life is the only evidence that we can show that we are still relevant. Because you want, what do you want to bring? You want to bring money. There are people who are stinkingly rich who don't even know what to do with their money and they are not Christians. What do you want to talk? A, a, a stable family? There are a lot of families who are Christian families that are falling apart. So what else do we have to offer? The only thing we have to offer, the only argument that we have for the gospel right now is to be able to present a life of a Christian that has been transformed. point we are making is that Paul the Apostle took the time to write out all this evidence for the transformed life because he knows that our transformed life is the evidence that we are alive in Christ. Our transformed life is the evidence that Christ is alive in us. Our transformed life is the proof that the gospel changes life even up till today. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.